I'm thinking about uh, a Blockbuster Video this morning. Do you remember this place? If you're under like uh, 20, this was a store you had to go to to rent videotapes. Videotapes, that's old language too, isn't it? You actually had to go to like a brick and mortar place and rent uh, videos. Uh, and uh, a matter of fact, if you're old enough, some of you might remember, do you remember back when you used to actually have to go there to rent the VHS player too? Do you remember this? Man, those are some days, right? And I was thinking of Blockbuster this morning because um, in 2000, Blockbuster Video uh, Entertainment Inc. had about 8,000 stores. In contrast, there was this fledgling company that just was up and coming, kind of a nobody, called Netflix, right? Yeah, well, Netflix, they had this crazy idea that instead of having a brick-and-mortar store that you had to show up to, that they would just, like, mail you DVDs, and you'd return it, and then, like, uh, when you get, then it would go another one, and it would just kind of go through the mail, and they wouldn't have to sweat it. <clears throat> and then in about 2000, uh, late 2000, uh, they had this other crazy idea that instead of actual DVDs, they would stream the movies right to your home. <gasps> Magic and wizardry, <laughs> Right? And so uh, the, the CEO of uh, Netflix, Reed Hastings, paid a visit to Blockbuster's head, John Antioco, and gave them the option, an opportunity to buy Netflix for a mere $50 million. I know that sounds like a lot of money, but just hang on for a second. You'll hear some bigger ones in a second. Uh, in that meeting, uh, Antioco actually thought the proposal was so ludicrous because Blockbuster was the big dog that they literally laughed Hastings out of the meeting. Netflix began to grow, and in 2007, Blockbuster decided they would try and get into that similar market, but they just couldn't do it. Netflix was already owning that entire share. In 2010, Blockbuster lost $1.1 billion. Their net worth was $24 million, while Netflix was worth about $13 billion. 2013, Blockbuster closed down its last store, and the first quarter of 2015, Netflix had an estimated market cap value of about $19.7 billion. Seems like a missed opportunity, doesn't it? <laughs> like, maybe somebody got in a little trouble over that. Um, do you know this movie? Did you see this movie? This was back in 1982. Did you see this movie? What movie is it? Does that bring up good memories or bad memories? I don't know how you feel about this. I'm just so curious. Right? Some of the, some of the students are leaning over to their parents right now and they're going, what's that? <laughs> right? You need to go home and watch E.T. You need an E.T. education. E.T. What was the candy that was highlighted in E.T.? It's very good. Did you know that Reese's Pieces, while that was highlighted in the movie, that wasn't the first um, idea from uh, the producers of E.T.? They actually connected with the Mars company and asked them if they would highlight M&Ms in there. Did you know this? So they got the opportunity to use M&Ms in there, but Mars said, no, for lots of reasons, it's hard to know. A lot of them have, have come out. We don't know what's true, but things that were said about it was that maybe they didn't want the bite-sized candy associated with an extraterrestrial living with an Earth family, or they thought the film's uh, premise was a little bit too otherworldly and silly, or uh, one uh, claim was that an unnamed M&M executive decided that nobody would want to see a movie about an alien adopted by a lonely kid. Right? And so when Mars passed and said no to having M&Ms in the movie, that opened up Hershey Company's ability to put Reese's Pieces in there. And so while the numbers are a little bit hard to track down, in two weeks, the, the, the sales of Reese's Pieces skyrocket. Some say that it tripled. Uh, some say it was an 85% jump or potentially a 65% jump. Here's the point. What was an underdog, a barely known candy for like American candy consumers, became like the top candy eaten. 
Seems like a missed opportunity for Eminem, doesn't it? How about this? Do you know this guy, Joe Green? Have you seen this picture before, the guy on the bottom over here? Do you know Joe Green? Do you know the other guy? Who's the other guy? Mark Zuckerberg, right? Well, Mark Zuckerberg and Joe Green were college roommates. But in fact, in their Harvard days, the two of them created a hot or not style website called FaceMash, which got the two of them in tons of trouble. So when Zuck asked Green to help him with Facebook some years later, Green's dad encouraged him, to, uh, discouraged his son from actually getting into another project with Zuckerberg. Had Green joined the company in those early days, he would have gotten about a 5% stake, he guesses, which today would be worth about $7 billion. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> Seems like a missed opportunity, doesn't And so today, that's where we are. In this series that we've called More, we want to finish today with this concept of, of missed opportunities or uh, uh, good reasons to, to not do something. Because all those people, like Blockbuster had good reasons to not get involved in this weird streaming idea. I mean, in their mind, it made uh, no sense. So why would you plug into that? Eminem said, oh, that movie's going to be horrible. So why, why plug it? Uh, Joe Green's dad made sense. Like, son, you got a lot of trouble with that kid. Don't do another project with him. Right? There's always good, good reasons to, to miss an opportunity. And that's what we want to conclude this entire more series. But what I want to do first before we jump into it is just review where we've been. Because if you haven't been here for the last seven weeks, uh, no problem. This morning in five minutes, I'll give you all seven weeks. Now for you that were here all seven weeks, you're like, well, that's great. I came for seven weeks. I could have just waited till today, but no. Okay. Five minutes. Here's where we've been talking about this idea of more, this idea of a common calling and a unique calling. We, we use the picture of like an oar, a kayak oar in the water. Like if you just understand your common calling, it's like having one oar in the water only. You're just spinning in circles, aimlessly going nowhere. Or if you just understand who you are as a unique person, but you don't understand this common calling that God has called you to. You're just going in circles, really heading nowhere. We said it's important to have both oars in the water. What do those oars look like? We spent three, four weeks talking about this idea of common calling. Here it is in a nutshell. The thing that is true of all Christ followers of all time, genders, ethnicities, whatever, it's simply this, to be a disciple who makes disciples wherever I am. To be a disciple who makes disciples wherever I am. That's true of me, that's true of Emily, that's true of Shirley, that's, that's true of people in the back that I can't see because I can't see that far, right? That's true of all of us, this idea of be a disciple that makes disciples wherever we are. And we spent four weeks talking about this idea of a unique calling or a unique um, uh, uh, identity, the idea of who I am specifically, and it looks like this that I'm, I am a, a, a disciple with a unique mix of personality, interests, and wiring who makes disciples using my unique ability, passions, and burdens in the unique places God has already put me or where he is eventually calling me. So I have unique wiring to, 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 to be a disciple using all my particular weirdness and goofiness and the things that make me, me to be making disciples in the, the passions that I have, the burdens that I have, the things that I'm just bent up about. In wherever God is putting me, the unique places that only I could fit maybe, or maybe things that God is creating for me to do in the future, that's eight weeks of more. What that looks like, what that smells like and tastes like and plays like. S some of you, 
for some of us that read the book and did the study guide and got in a group and came on Sunday mornings, maybe you're at a point. Maybe you're asking this question like, why did we do that? <laughs> that seems so long ago. Why, why did we do this? It was a lot of work. I had to read stuff and write stuff, then fill in stuff, and then I had to think about myself, and I don't even know if I like me or what. So, so why did we do this? I want to I draw a picture for you and try to explain why we did this. Now, I think I heard a groan down here from my family because there's two things that you need to understand. One is I cannot spell, okay? We, we okay with that? And I am not an artist. So just, just go with me on this. We'll have a lot of fun. A number of months ago, we said this. We said, we think that God is calling North Point to this uh, vision right here to impact 50,000 people in the next five years with the grace of Jesus. Now, for you guys that sat in the front, you know, half, you get to see this, which is beautiful. And for you guys that are in the back, I'm so sorry. Anyways, 50,000 people in five years, we said, we're going to impact 50,000 people, 50,000 people. 50, that's like an entire county. That's a ton of people. We're going to impact. Like impact means like make a difference. And like impact is like what happens when cars crash. And like We're going to make an impact in 50,000 people's lives five years from now. Five years from now, we're going to look back and be like, oh my gosh, 50,000 people were impacted with the grace of Jesus because we know this Jesus who gives us tons of grace. This is an amazing, we're so excited. Woo! And we did journals, and we got, I think we had stickers somewhere, and we sang songs, and we did a dance. There was no singing, there was no dancing. But I'm just saying, like, we were, we're excited, right? 50,000 people. And then we did this. impact 50,000 people in the next five years the grace of Jesus and then we just let it sit we're all excited we went out that Sunday and the following Sunday we're all excited and the days went by and the weeks went by and we started hearing questions people going well wait a minute what does that what does that mean for me like like wait 50,000 people that's a lot of people I don't even like people <laughs> so like I only I like I know six people how 50,000 people that Oh, wait a minute, that doesn't mean like 50,000 people are going to come to North Point, right? Because I'm not giving up my pew. <laughs> I got my, I'm about to buy a pew. What does, that, what does that mean in five years? Like five years seems so long. Like, I don't know, five years, what are we going to do tomorrow? And like, we started asking questions and there was this churn. We, we created this thing that, that uh, experts call a knowledge gap. When you, when, you, when you start something big and then you leave this knowledge gap, you leave opportunity for questions to start popping up. It's a really effective way of teaching, educating, changing culture, whatever. Knowledge gap, this idea of, well, what does that mean for me? What does that look like? It's easy to say 50,000 people in five years, woo! But then what is that? What's my part of that? What am I supposed to do? Like, how does that look? Does this make sense? Are we together? So this is great, this knowledge gap. Now, there's a couple of pathways from here. One pathway looks like this because we say, well, what's the church going to do? Here's my artistic ability. That's really good square, actually. I just, can we take a moment? That's re- okay. Anyways, yeah, don't clap. Don't, don't encourage me. It's not, it's not, it's not healthy. Right? This is a church. It's, that's a cross, okay? Uh, I'll, I'll put a little pastor down here so that you can, you can oops, oh boy. We'll make, he's praying, Okay. His arms are really low. Here, we'll make him Rick because Rick's not in the room, so he'll never know. There we go. Okay, now it's Rick. It's fantastic. All right. 
Some people are going to, oh, there should be a door on the church, don't you think? That would be really hard to get. Okay, some people, and a window. This is, this is good stuff. Okay, so some people are going to, so it's like, so what are we going to do? What's the church going to do? How is the church going to help me impact 50,000 people in five years? And when we look at this pathway, we actually are saying, what's, what's the church What's North Point going to do? What events are they going to create? What initiatives are they going to start? What third serve projects are they going to go on that I could be part of so I feel like I'm impacting 50,000 people in the next five years with the grace of Jesus? What's the church going to do? And really when we say this, what we mean by this is what what programs are the church leadership going to concoct so I feel like I'm doing this? And I'll just say, if this is the path that we run down, it's an absolute disaster. Because, because the, 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 ch- the church, the, the church, the church is never going to be able to like design enough things to reach. We're never going to be able to come up with enough slick program that, that harnesses all the abilities and talents. And here, see, a better path is this one over here. Well, the question we ask is, what's the church going to do? They should have eyes probably, huh? Whoa, that's a scary head. Just go with me on it. You'll be okay. What's the church, what's the church going to do? You understand what I'm saying? The church. See, see, see. We're the church, right? This building's not the church. The name North Point's not the church. The organization institution's not the church. We're the church. So the great question is, what's the church going to do in order to fulfill this, this, this vision that we think God has called us to impact 50,000 people in the next five years? Like, what, what are we going to do as people? Are we together? Does this make sense? I draw more pictures. No, don't make me draw more pictures. Does this make sense? What are we going to do? And so we started here. This is where spelling comes in. Be, do, go more. Because we thought, you know what? We want to help. We got to understand who, who we are individually. We got to understand who we are as a group. We got to understand how God's wired us and put us together. Because out of that, this, man, it's going to be awesome. But if we just wait for the church to come up with enough slick stuff, then this will never, it's just going to be a disaster. That makes sense? So that's why we did this. We said we went through this material called More. We're going to help us understand our particular wiring and, and calling and who we are and what God has asked us to be and all that kind of stuff. And we had a number of verses that we uh, went back to in the scriptures every week, nearly every week, these four verses. They're in your app. If you have the app open, you can see them there. They'll pop up on the screen behind me as well. Uh, but I want to read them to you too. Every week we looked at or we talked about uh, John 10.10. John 10.10 says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That title, more, that title of the book, that came from John 10.10. The idea that Jesus came that we might have life that's more. Not mediocre, not average, not uh, okay, not good enough, but the idea of full, abundant life. Not one oar in the water, spinning in circles, going nowhere aimlessly, but actually on mission the way God has designed you as an individual and then us together as a corporate body of people. We looked at Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 a ton. Ephesians 2 is this fantastic verse. It says this, uh, Paul, the author says, For we are God's handiwork. 
that, that, that word in the Greek is literally poema. It means masterpiece, poem. We are God's master art work. Individually, you are God's work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God didn't create a masterpiece to put on a shelf that nobody would see. He created this work of art, you, that, that, that you would accomplish the things that he has for you to do that only you can do because of your unique wiring and passions and burdens and the way God has put you together. And in Ephesians 1, it says this, it says that this, this whole concept is for the church which is his body, the fulfillment of him who fills everything in every way. This idea that I got to take the fullness of Jesus that's in me, I got to. I get to take the fullness of Jesus that's in me and, and spread that out into every crack and crevice of society, culture, the places that I am. That's this picture of, of engaging our common and unique calling, of, of engaging our be, do, and go. And we looked at Matthew 28 a ton. You can't get away from this verse when we're talking about this concept of making disciples. Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is Jesus saying this. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. It's this concept of being a, a disciple that makes disciples wherever you are. You can't get away from it. It's not an, a, an option. It's not like a suggestion and it's not only for a certain few people that really like doing it. Like it's this, it's this command, it's this wiring, it's this who we are, it's what God has for us. And so we looked at all of those verses. So the only question left, and this is all I want to answer this morning, the only question left is, are you going to do it? Uh, are we going to do it? And what I want to do by just way of concluding this series is I want to give us uh, some really good excuses to not engage our be, do, and go. Is it making sense? So when you leave here this morning, you'll have five really great re uh, reasons, that's a reasons to not do this stuff. Blockbuster had some great reasons, Net Netflix, uh, E.T., uh, Mars, Candy, they had some great, I want to give you five really good excuses, uh, reasons to not engage your calling. And, and, and uh, there's a great story in the life of Jesus, an event he, he has uh, with a gal who I think embodies, she has some great reasons and we'll kind of take them from there. So John chapter four is where we're going to be for the last few minutes together. If you have a Bible, that would be great. If you're in the app, that's fantastic. It will pop up on the screen too. John chapter four, starting in verse uh, four, some really great excuses, uh, reasons to not engage your personal calling. It says this. It says, uh, now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. And that's a little bit of a weird se se sentence because he didn't really have to go through Samaria. Matter of fact, uh, Jerusalem was here and where he was going was down here. And Samaria was in the middle, but their route of the day, they would always go around Samaria because Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. It was a mutual hate relationship. So they would just avoid each other's areas that they lived in, no problem. So when it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, he didn't have to. He should have went around it probably, but for whatever reason, he had uh, this concept that he had an appointment there. Like there was something he had to do. This when it says he had to go through it, not a geographical travel thing. It's like a Jesus had a plan kind of thing. Okay, so it says he had to go through Samaria. So uh, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Now, uh, near the plot of ground, Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon. This makes sense to us. He's been walking. It's the desert. It's hot. Noon, hottest part of the day. So he's bushed. He gets into this town. He plops down next to a well and there we start. 
Verse 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone to town to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. So this is a strange situation. Jesus is plopped down by the well. This woman comes out. It's a very bizarre time, by the way, for her to be drawing water, which is an incredibly difficult job. And so she's got her jars or buckets or whatever. She's coming out in the middle of the day. Normally, they would do that in the morning when it's cooler, but she's doing this in the middle of the day. There's probably a reason for that. And as she gets there, Jesus says, hey, can you give me a drink? She's like, you're talking to me? First of all, you don't like me. Our, our ethnic groups don't really get along. And second of all, I'm a woman. And we're in a culture where guys don't talk to women. And it's just kind of a strange thing, especially if it's not your wife. So what's going on? So Jesus answers her in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, uh, you would have asked him. And he would have given you water. But, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me the water so I don't get thirsty and I don't have to keep coming back to this stinking well and drawing water. I added stinking. So there's this strange conversation that goes on. He asks for water. She says, how can you talk to me? And he says, yeah, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me. And she's like, great, you've got a new way of doing water. I hate collecting water. Give me the product. Sign me up. Take my money. Right? Woman says, please give me the water. Verse 16. I think Jesus pauses for a second. He looks her in the eye tells her, uh, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replies. Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fa- fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see now that you're a prophet. Our, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain and you Jews claim that the place we're supposed to worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. Salvation's from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in truth and spirit for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. I mean, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. So she, she tries to deflect the conversation. Do you see that? He got a little personal. He's talking about her life. She says, oh, I see you're a prophet. Let's have this really unimportant theological debate about what church we should be at. Jesus kind of engages and brings it back on track. She says, it's all about worshiping God. Verse 25, the woman, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain all this to us. <laughs> She's done. <laughs> She's done with the conversation. She says, you know what, the, the God's going to come back, and when he comes back, he'll, he'll explain all this for me. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, yeah, I'm he. That's, that's a huge, a huge statement. She, she just said like, hey, you know, thanks, crazy guy who wants water, and I don't really understand what we're talking about right now, but it got a little weird and a little personal, and I'm not so sure how I feel about this, but I'm kind of wigged out. Uh, yeah, uh, when God comes, he'll explain it all. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you know what? I am. I am God's name. Like, I am. That, that, that's right. I'm here. I am explaining it to you. And she gets it. Verse 27, it says, uh, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, uh, What do you want or why are you talking with her? 
five great uh, biblical reasons to not engage your personal calling. This gal had all kinds of really good excuses, uh, to, reasons to not engage your personal calling. Here we go. There's fill-ins in the app if you're interested. Number one, uh, she had no influence. She had no influence. I mean, there was a reason she's at that well at noon. See, all the other women would have gone uh, the cool of the day, early in the morning, gathered water. Matter of fact, all the women of the town did it pretty much at the same time because when you get out there, it's like Facebook. It's like the Facebook of the day, right? They're sharing with each other what's going on. It's like Instagramming their dinner pictures from last night. They're talking about what new recipes they have or what's going on in town or the new store that's opening or how this one stinks or whatever they talked about back then, like that was the well. They'd go to the well, they'd share life, they would engage in conversation, they would get to catch up on each other's stuff. I'm pregnant, oh, that's so wonderful. Whatever, right? She is avoiding all of that. She's going at the worst time of the day. Why? I don't know. She doesn't want to be part of the gossip. She knows what they think about her. She knows that, that she's just going to be looked at cross or, or, or made fun of or whatever. She's probably thinking, no, nobody cares what I think about anything. I'm just a nobody. So this Jesus who shows up and has this conversation that sets her off her day for a great excuse to not do anything with that is simply because she had no influence whatsoever. She was the wrong race, wrong gender, she's the wrong political party, fill in the blank. See, plenty of Christians will refuse to engage their be, do, go because of personal insecurity. She had a great reason to not do anything with this Jesus stuff. Number two, she had no time. She had no time. I mean, she is legitimately busy. Uh, much of the chores that needed to be done required water. It's the middle of the day. She's, she's probably behind on her chores. I don't know, cooking, washing, cleaning, whatever, whatever it might be, bathing, whatever it is. She's behind on it. It's noon. She's probably thinking all these chores are already stacked up. Maybe some thoughts going through her head might sound like, hey, I got to get this water right now. I'm very busy. I'm already late as it is. Or maybe she could have thought, hey, maybe after all my jobs are done, then I'll figure out to do something with this Jesus thing. Or maybe she was thinking, you know, once I get married and my life settles down a little bit, then I'll engage this calling, this tug I'm feeling on my heart right now. Once I get my life put together. I have too many other priorities right now. I just don't have time to think about this. See, plenty of Christians will refuse to engage their be, do, and go because of wrong priorities, different priorities. Here's the third excuse uh, to not engage uh, personal calling. And number three is she had a bad reputation. It wasn't that she wasn't known. (laughs) The problem was that she was known. She had been with lots of guys and everyone knew it. Maybe she's thinking in her head, I'm I'm way too sinful. I've had five husbands and the lover that I'm with now, I mean, I'm not married to him. So there's no way that I can do anything with this personal calling, this tug on my heart that Jesus is, is, is crafting in me right now. I'm just way too sinful. I'm too messed up. The problem is that people know me and they know how bad I am. What kind of story am I going to have? Matter of fact, she's, maybe she's thinking, I, I don't want to go and tell people because I don't want to give God a bad name. <laughs> what, what, a, what a strange and silly thought. See, there'll be plenty of Christians who refuse to engage their be, do, or go simply because you're not holy enough, right? Here's the fourth reason. Reason number four to not engage your be, do, go. She, she shouldn't have, she, she didn't have to is this. She didn't know what to say. She didn't know what to say. And this whole Jesus thing was brand new for her. 
right? They're like, what, five minutes, ten minutes into a conversation? This whole thing is brand new. Maybe, maybe she should have been thinking some things like, uh, hey, I'm not a theologian or a pastor, or hey, this, uh, this Jesus stuff is better left to the professionals. I don't want to mess it up, right? Or I don't know my Bible well enough. They didn't sit down and go through a whole Bible study. Or I'll just wait till I'm better prepared, Maybe she's like, you know what, I'm going to go sign up for five years of some discipleship classes and then I'll get some assessments and then I'll get some tools and I'll, I'll get some, some credentials and then it'll make some, well, probably I'll just go to another five years of doing it because then maybe in 10 years I'll, I'll probably be ready for two more years after that. But then, well, 12 years out, then I'll be ready to engage this personal calling, this tug on the heart that Jesus is doing. Like she, she could have thought all of those things. Like plenty of Christians will refuse to engage their personal calling for something like it's, it's not my skill set. I'm not good at it. Fifth, fifth reason to not engage our personal calling, this gal by this well, she could have had is simply this. She had been hurt and insulted before. She had been hurt and insulted before. She, she had experienced her fair share of pain, hurt, abuse. Uh, she, we don't know much about her. We know that there were five husbands. Did they all die? That, that's painful. <laughs> Right, or, or did all the husbands uh, uh, just, just up and leave her? That's abusive. Right, or did the husbands decide, hey, you're just not good enough. I'm going to go find someone better. That's insulting. I, I don't know. We don't know, but we can, we can imagine that she's endured her fair share of pain. And if you, she's at the well at noon, she had been talked about long enough to figure out, I will take the heat of the day and the pain that brings over having to look those other people in the eye. That's pain. Matter of fact, when the disciples come back from buying food and they see Jesus talking with this woman, they're, they're like smart enough to not say anything. They're learning a little bit. But I absolutely believe they gave her that look. You know what look I mean? You know what I mean? We, we, just, we just watched a movie the other night, The Emperor's New Groove, and I was thinking about it this morning, if you've ever seen that, that uh, the look of utter disdain. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about, is that look. I think the guys gave her that look when they got back. And she felt it. I think she felt uh, shamed by the disciples as they were trying to figure out, why is Jesus talking to, to a woman, that woman? Plenty of Christians will refuse to engage their be, do, and go because of past pain, because of a been there, done that, I'm burnt out mindset, because of it didn't work last time I tried, so why bother now? If you're looking at the app, you see a little note in there that says, warning, sarcasm ahead, or something like that. I hope you're catching that this morning. A little bit of sarcasm. But great excuses for this gal to not engage her personal calling, to not be a disciple who makes disciples right where she is. She could have just stopped and done nothing with it and walked away. Here's what she does instead. We're still in John 4, verse uh, 28. It says this. It says, then leaving her water jar... She didn't care about the priorities and the jobs that needed to get done and the stuff that, you know, she was concerned about. Her priority scheme changed in the blink of an eye. She left her water jar. The woman went back to the town. She didn't care about the reputation or the fact that no one was going to listen to her. She just went back to what she knew where she was going to be and said to the people, she didn't, she didn't think about uh, what she was going to say. She doesn't worry about, I'm not smart enough or I don't know enough or anything like that. She goes back to the town and says to the people, come and see a man that told me everything I ever did. Like that's all she knew, right? I went to the well and this dude told me things that he could not have known. I'm freaked out. 
Could this be the Messiah? Could this be God in the flesh that we've been waiting for for a thousand years? Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. In verse 30 it says, And they came out of the town and made their way to him. She didn't have any influence. She had a bad reputation. She had experienced hurt and pain, which is true. And yet, they came out of the town and they made their way to Jesus. She, she so many unanswered questions. Sometimes I, uh, the thing I don't like about the Bible is it doesn't answer all my questions. Like I have all these questions in that event and it doesn't answer and it kind of drives me insane. For example, like she just left her water jar. Was she worried about the jar at all? Like, was she worried it wasn't going to be there when she got back? Because I picture me in this situation, and I'm like, like, oh, I'm going to go tell her. Wait, I better get the jar. No, it'll be fine. Okay, I'm going to just go get it. I'm like, oh, okay. In my head, that's how I picture it. Like, was she worried about that at all? So she went back to the town. Like, how far was town? Was it a five-minute walk, a ten-minute walk? Was she running faster than normal so it only took six minutes? Like, how far away was this? And what was she thinking about the whole time? What was going through her head? It says that she said to the people, right, did she rehearse a speech at all? Like before I get up and do welcome up here, in my head I'm actually thinking about what am I going to say because I want it to make some sense kind of and then usually I ramble. So is she thinking about like what am I going to say? Did she begin rehearsing a speech? Like well I'm going to show up and be like, uh, good morning, thank you for being here this morning. Or what was she, like, how, what, did she plan it or did, was she just winging it? Like, I have so many questions. And where did she start when she got into town? Was this like a door-to-door thing? Did she start knocking on doors, like, come follow me or whatever? And they're like, dude, leave me alone. It's noon, you know, the colts are on or what? Like, like what, what was going on in that? Or did she just run into the middle of town and start screaming and people were like, oh, someone's getting beat up. Let's go watch. And they came out and she was like, come on. Like, how did she make this happen? I have so many questions. And she says, come and see a guy. Come and see a guy that told me everything I ever did. Was she worried about people's responses? Like, that's kind of a crazy invitation. Like, can you imagine going into your workplace tomorrow and just be like, hey, I want you to see a guy. What? Was she worried about their responses? Was she afraid that some were going to say no? Did she wait before she started walking back with this town people following her, where she's like, okay, well, I think, I think we're all here. It's probably time for us to go. I don't know. I have so many questions. And then, and then it says that they came out. And I got a picture. However long it took her to get back from town, back to where this well was, as she's walking, is she worried that Jesus isn't going to be there when she gets there? Like, snap, what if, what if I get there and Jesus is gone? I mean, most of the guys in my life hurt me anyway. So, like, if I get there and all the people are like, you're such an idiot. Like, we tell you all the time you're an idiot, but you're really an idiot. I mean, was she thinking about any of this stuff? I'd be thinking about this stuff with so many unanswered questions. Maybe there's so many unanswered questions because the what and the how of what she did is unimportant. Maybe the only important piece is that she did, right? She did something. She went after it. Let, let's, let me just finish the story so you see how it ends. I don't want to leave you hanging. Uh, Jesus and his guys have a conversation while she's back in town figuring all that out with the unanswered questions. And they talk about some stuff. It's pretty fun. You can read it. But down in verse tw- uh, 39, it says this. It says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, Jesus, they urged Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We've heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. Like her message was compelling enough that people were interested. 
But Jesus' message was compelling enough that lives were changed. That's discipleship. That's the heart of this disciple-making thing, to be a disciple that makes disciples wherever we are. See, my message, your message, our messages, they don't have to be compelling enough to change people's lives. That's God's thing. Like, my message is, is maybe just compelling enough to get someone to go, huh? Right? And then God's message is what changes lives. That's the heart of discipleship. That's disciple-making. I, I want to finish with uh, just a a quote from the Moore book. It it says this. It says, being a good steward of what he's uniquely given us to work with is connected to one day hearing God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let that linger. What does it truly mean for you to be a good student, uh, steward of the unique calling God has given you? Don't let fear, pleasure-seeking, desire for security, or issues of character paralyze you. Be ruthless with anything in life that could steal your well-done away. See, it's our nature to plan and await clarity before we act. God wants us to see the Goliath opportunities in front of us and act now. Not in several years when we have more clarity or more margin or more strategy or a more attractive opportunity. Instead, he wants us to lean into what's directly in front of us and act with more faith. That starts with putting more urgency on the opportunities of today. Amen? Well, let's do this. If you would just stand, we'll pray together, and we'll just get out of here and engage and continue to engage this be, do, and go. God, thanks for this morning. Jesus, thanks for you and just your, your calling us to a relationship with you. That still blows me away every day, God, that you would want to know a guy like me. That's just crazy. And I'm so thankful for it. And God, I just, I'm thankful for the series and this journey, but I pray, God, that it would just uh, help us understand how you've created us and built us, not, not simply so we can know ourselves, but so that, that we can live in a way that pleases and honors you and, and lives in a way that just brings us joy and abundant life because that's how you wired us. So God, I just pray that as we leave here, we are plagued by these ideas that we cannot get away from these concepts to somehow figure out the place that you've called us to be and the unique wiring that you've given us as we're children of you and disciples of Jesus. And somehow, God, we would, we would take that reality into every crack and crevice of society because in this room, people can go places where we can't alone. And that's an amazing thing. So God, I just pray that as, we're, as we joke a little and laugh a little today about some excuses to not engage our be-do-go. God, I pray that you would call us to something better than excuses, that we would look past the reasons to not to, and rather, God, just jump in. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for today. And all of North Point said, amen.